listening to the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. We sit down with some of the most highly regarded experts in the field of rehab, from physical therapists, athletic trainers, and much more. We dive into what makes them tick and hear about the lessons they have learned along their journey. Come listen to what these experts have to say. episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. Uh, today's guest, we have Minnesota's Twins, minor league physical therapist, and host of the Injury Prone Podcast, Edwin Porras. Edwin, welcome in. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to do this. I'm excited to chat a little bit about uh, how I got here, maybe get to know you a little bit better, and hopefully we can be provide some value to your audience. All right. Um, so kind of give us a little bit of background. What got you into physical therapy and kind of uh, what got you started in sports PT? Yeah, man. So I kind of went a non-traditional route, I'd call it. So I've always known I wanted to be a physical therapist. And I always was split between do I want to do outpatient ortho or do I want to do, you know, sports rehab? Ultimately, I actually didn't choose sports because it was just not something that I thought fit into the cards at the time when I made the decision. So went through PT school, um, did an orthopedic residency, right, which is obviously different than sports residency. So on the side, I also was doing like this fantasy football stuff. I started my last year of PT school, um, wrote an article about finding my voice in physical therapy uh, in terms of like my ethnicity and culture and how that relates to patient care. And throughout all this, right, did my orthopedic residency, finished my residency, got a job, was working at this outpatient facility, and then got this opportunity to interview um, for the twins. And I got the, I got the job, which was like, I'm super blessed, super fortunate to, to have gotten this opportunity without really many connections or really even like a sports, a traditional sports background, other than just, you know, my own specialty working at the time, uh, with different, like a variety of basically what amounts to like, like Olympic weightlifters, crossfitters and stuff like that, which is totally different than baseball. Right. Um, but I had a little bit of that in my background. Um, so after that, you know, I kind of hit the ground running in January and I've been here ever since. That's really, really, really the, the short version of how I got to where I'm at. Gotcha. So I want to go back a little bit more. Um, you know, what I saw that you went to the Kaiser Ortho Residency. So kind of tell us a little bit about what, what is your decision into choosing that residency? Yeah, so really it comes down to mentors and my mentor recommended to me, hey, there are these handful of orthopedic residencies that I recommend. I think they'd be great for you. And maybe we can talk a little bit more about mentors and, and how, you know, the role that they play in different seasons of your career. I think that you should basically listen to whatever your mentor has to say uh, and consider it seriously. That's, you know, there's a reason you asked them to be your mentor in the first place. And the recommendation for me was, hey, this is a really good residency. This is, I think, something that would fit you and your career goals and, you know, X, Y, Z. So you should move from Kansas City. And you should go to Northern California and do a residency there. So with a supportive wife, it's what I did. And really, that's the, the bottom line of why I did. I knew that I wanted something more. I knew that finishing PT school wasn't going to be my end game from a post like a professional standpoint. So I knew I wanted more. I knew that I wanted to eventually dip my toe into different uh, you know, a specialization at some point. So I just decided to dive in with the orthopedic one. Like I said, I didn't choose sports specifically just because I didn't anticipate that it was a lifestyle that I'd be able to offer. And at that point, I really honestly felt like, well, I had my chance before, 
that's something you need a lot of like specialized uh, training and specific experience to even have a chance. So um, that sounds kind of like a downer, but I was, I was okay with it. Like I knew that to a certain extent I had chosen that and that's okay. Right. But then professional sports came knocking. And of course I'm not gonna, gonna say no to that. Right. So I want to go a little bit back. You said that, you know, mentors are important. So kind of tell us a little bit about that mentor that recommended that for the residency and kind of how you guys connected and, um, you know, why you decided to choose that person as your mentor. <laughs> yeah, man. So it's different for everybody. For me, I was, I saw this individual working at an extremely high level and they have like a public sort of presence. And I reached out and I said, Hey, I'd really like to be mentored by you. I'd really like that opportunity. I can drive to you. I can whatever I can fly if I need to, to spend time for you. And he was like, no, no, don't do that. Like I don't spend as much time in the clinic. Uh, here are the names of one or two people that I highly recommend you get connected with. Let them become your mentor and then you can go from there. And so there, that's where the conversation evolved to, you know, this is, this is like the residency that I think you should do. This is why, you know, I teach in it, et cetera, et cetera. So it was really almost like a referral from one individual to another who by proxy became uh, my, at that time, my, my mentor. So it was kind of anticlimactic, to be honest. <laughs> I think a big part, I think the takeaway from that story is I believe you should ask whoever, you should identify who you want to look like in you know three to five to 10 years, whatever. You should identify that individual and ask them specifically, A, do you have time to invest in me as a mentor? And B, are you willing to mentor me at all? Is that something that's feasible and for us to establish a, a dynamic like that? And I think doing that, specifically putting it in you know words like that, makes both sides at least understand, okay, this is something we're going to do together. This is going to be a dynamic that we build off of. And it, and it establishes trust immediately, right? Like if somebody's asking you to be their mentor, I think that takes a lot of courage. If somebody says yes, then that means that they trust that you're going to be on board with the recommendations they give because they should know you, right? I think you should spend a ton of time around a mentor. I think that you they should know you enough to understand and be and have some foresight into your career and the next steps that you should take. And so I think it's super important to pick, pick a specific mentor that that knows you well or can at least get to know you right absolutely so you know going off your recommendations advice you went to this specific ortho residency obviously there has to be other factors so what were some of the other you know things that played into you wanting to do this specific ortho residency i think my clinical skills were the first thing that i wanted to master i knew that i finished school and i had spent some time around some really high level at least what i would consider high level high performing physical therapists uh, and an outpatient in outpatient places and they were good man they were so good like they would diagnose somebody they would talk to them it was like watching it was like i remember telling my wife it's like poetry in motion everything they did was so seamless everything they did they seemed to be one or two or three steps ahead of where my current thought process when i observed them was i mean it was like it honestly almost became in a weird way and it still is to a certain degree an obsession of like I am chasing clinical excellence, like clinic, clinical exceptional work. I want to help people because the more that I chase those skills myself, I know the more efficiently I can help people. Uh, and I know the more 
impact I can make on each individual patient that I see, as opposed to just being like, yeah, you know, three sets of 10 piriformis stretch, three sets of 10 upper trap stretch, uh, and then active range of motion, you know, left, right rotation. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Right. I didn't want to be that individual. And what I noticed a common thread in the individuals that I really admired was some form of post-professional training. Obviously, that doesn't mean that you need it. That doesn't mean you need to be a specialist. That doesn't mean you need to chase a certain certification or letters behind your name. I think it just, it's a representation of the willingness to learn and be mentored and to understand that the process can constantly be refined. And that's really, I think the, the, the if I really had to say from like the bottom line, why I wanted to do a residency, it's, it's because of that. Like I wanted to chase clinical excellence. I know that sounds really corny and I'm definitely not saying I'm there now, but I think I'm a step closer than I, than I would have been if I didn't do residency. So to kind of tell us a little bit, um, you know, you're bridging your time between the residency and your time with the twins. What are some things that you think that the residency helped you prepare or help prepare you for, you know, working in professional sports now? Yeah. So I think that's a really interesting question. And I think the first thing that uh, some early clinicians, younger clinicians, or maybe students might not recognize is being good at the basics is what an expert actually is. Being good at identifying a pattern, understanding what that pattern might lead to, having an algorithm of your head of, oh, this could lead to A, B, and C, having a good framework of what a treatment plan looks like, what a progression would look like, and how to appropriately progress a patient from a condition that you diagnosed is super important. Uh, having that knowledge and having that ability to quickly do through that. And honestly, the most practical answer I could give is that you get reps in residency. Like my residency was heavy on the reps. I mean, I saw a lot of patients, arguably too many, arguably overloaded, arguably, you know, not even arguably, I think, I, I think it was just, you know, it was one of those, it's just like every most, most physical therapy clinics, right. In 2022, they operated at a high volume. What that allowed me to do was get in reps. I know what a cervical spine radiculopathy looks like. I know what a rotator cuff tendinopathy looks like, and I know how to treat it. I know what a, what a knee tendinitis or arthritis looks like, and I know how to treat it. What I, the way I view an orthopedic residency or orthopedic practice compared to a sports practice is that orthopedic is much broader where a sports residency is much more, uh, it's much deeper, if that makes sense. Once I established the basics and the the breadth of practice and understanding at least a little bit of most orthopedic conditions. Now that I'm in the specific specialized setting, I feel like it's much easier for me to digest. And now we're looking at performance and now we're looking at, you know, progressions and now we're looking at baseball specific progressions. And what does that look like from their functional workload capacity standpoint? Like, what does it look like from X, Y, and Z having the basics and getting reps in on the front end, even though it wasn't necessarily always an athletic population allows me to clinically reason faster at a higher rate and at least have a better understanding of where I'm going and what this condition might, the course that it might take if that makes right. sense. Right, absolutely, yeah. Working in you know, a, a outpatient clinic will definitely lead you looking at a lot of different patients and you know, recognizing those different patterns. Um, so you know, when the, the opportunity with the twins came open, can you kind of tell us, tell us a little bit more about how that came about? Oh man, that's a funny story. So, <laughs> It's an interesting story. So we haven't touched on this part yet, right? I'm doing the the fantasy. I'm doing the fantasy football stuff, right? So I'm on Twitter doing fantasy football stuff. I also wrote an article in 2018 about an experience I had as a student that had to do with speaking Spanish 
and sort of cultural sensitivity and what it looks like in physical therapy, right? That's a whole beast of a topic on its own. I wrote about it. Um, what ended up happening is some people here at the organization were looking for a Spanish speaking physical therapist, right? So what do you, what happens when you go looking on the internet, you find people, right? Like, especially in 2022. That's why I think like a side note, not to say that this is going to happen. This is like best case scenario, right? Somebody found me and then essentially what happened was they were able to identify me and I got a job, right? That's like the best case scenario. That's like not going to happen for everybody and I recognize that. But what I'm saying is having it some, sort of, some sort of online presence was really what propelled me to at least get in the room, if that makes sense. I didn't do a sports residency. I didn't have the connections, but I was able to get in the room, quote unquote, get in the room simply by having a presence online. So once they found me, you know, they reached out, they said, Hey, we're interviewing. Are you interested in interviewing? And so, um, I thought it was, uh, spam at some point. I was like, there's no way this is real. Turns out it wasn't interviewed, got the job. And that's how I got, that's how I got to work. Gotcha. Um, so kind of tell us like, what is your official like title and role and what does that entail? Yeah. So I'm a minor league physical therapist and essentially what happens in every organization is a little bit different. We will help rehab athletes from our organization across the organization right regardless of their level and any any case or most cases that are longer than x amount of time will rehab where we're at and so that's our official role in addition to that we do a lot of um we do a lot of work on the side that you call it maintenance work with some of our players and really that's what the job entails and then when we're here at the complex with our, our rookie ball team we sort of help to manage that entire um, that entire roster from, you know, we just help the athletic trainers as, as best as we can. So really, I mean, it really is the crux of going to appointments with players, scheduling surgeries if they need them, talking to docs about their plan of care, taking them to MRIs. I mean, baseball is a super involved sport because there are so many moving pieces. And when you take on a physical therapist job, when I took this physical therapist job on, I honestly was learning on the fly. There are so many specific things specific to the job, on the job training, you just simply can't learn without doing the job itself. So you're what amounts to a case manager in a lot of these instances. If you have a guy on your, what you want to call your schedule, quote unquote your schedule, like you are responsible, at least here in this organization, for their appointments, you're responsible for their medication refills, you're responsible for keeping uh, the ortho doc in the loop, you're responsible for everything that they could, while they're under your care as a rehab provider, like you do a lot of that. And so that was really the new part for me that I didn't quite understand at first. So like, it's not that you manage an acute illness, right? Like we're not MDs, we don't have that training, but you have to at least identify like, oh man, like I think this might be like something viral or something lung related. I need to get them to XYZ provider. Like that was the new stuff for me. That was the, the acute sort of management and case management aspect that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't where I was going to run into, which is, which is fine. Like, I like that stuff. I think that's fun. I think it, it, it makes the, it makes the days go by a lot faster. I think it's, it's really high paced and it's really spontaneous, which is like the fun part. And ultimately like the goal is to keep the athletes healthy, get them healthy, keep them healthy. And that's just a part of the job. Right. Um, and so kind of going, you said you started at the beginning of 2022. So you've kind of gone through an off season and spring training and now to the full swing of the season. So kind of tell us how your, your, I guess, treatment plans change when you're in season versus off season. Yeah. So 
full full disclosure, I haven't gotten through the full season, so I don't know what those will look like quite yet. But really, it's just a matter of the, the plan of cares don't really change. You just kind of account for, you know, is this guy going to go home or are they going maybe go do you know private rehab if they are going home? Are they going to go home and come back, you know, after a week or so? All of that is just super minutia, super detailed. Like it totally depends on the player. Uh, but obviously, as the season dwindles, you have less cases uh, on your, you know, in your workload. So you do have these ebbs and flows of the season where you're, you know, probably super, probably the busiest we'll get right now. And then it will start as guys start to get better. Games start to dwindle towards the end of September. I only, I can only anticipate that injuries will will obviously start to come down as guys start to to peel their way off of the the IL. Right. Um, and so I wanted to go a little bit more, have a little bit more of a clinical question. You said that the ortho residency kind of prepped you to be, you know, master the basics. Um, now that you're working with, you know, high level athletes that need to return to throwing hundred mile hour fastballs, how do you kind of, you know, improve your decision-making, your, your long-term rehab and your, you know, end of return to sport decision-making? Is there anything that you did in specific to kind of help bolster those skills? So here's the, I think the thing that maybe you've touched on it before with other guests and maybe not, especially in baseball, you do not need to know it all. You don't need to know even, I would say like 75% of it, right? You need to know how do I rehab this guy? What should his big picture plan of care look like? And then when I need the pitching coach, the rehab coach to get involved, I'll get the rehab pitching coach and we'll sit down and write their their ITP out. If I think that they're lacking some mobility um, and I need to get in there and do some mobs, some hip mobs, I'll be the one to do that, right? If maybe they, they're telling me they're extra sore or they're having trouble with a lift, I'll get the strength and conditioning coach in. I'll say, hey, what are you seeing with this lift? Where could we improve it? Maybe we deload them. Maybe we up, you know, up the load. Like, if it could be, hey, I think this person has a foundational movement impairment that is affecting them downstream. Get another physical therapist. Hey, you have a lot of FMS, SFMA experience. What are you seeing from this individual that we could maybe use as a building block to get them to actually be able to do this movement at a higher level, higher pace, higher intensity, right? So I'm not saying we shouldn't strive to know as much as possible. I am saying that from my experience, coming from the outpatient orthopedic clinic, thinking that I need to be self-sufficient was actually suboptimal. So understanding that I can ask for help, understanding that I don't need to know the nitty gritty about pitching mechanics, understanding that if I can get a guy to do X, then the pitching coaches and the coaching staff and, and strength and condition, they can get them to do, you know, A, B, and C. So I play a role in this patient's plan of care, but I can't necessarily say that my line of thought or my clinical reason, reasoning has changed. If anything, it, I've helped, it's helped me this role has helped me see bigger picture and understanding where I need, what my role is in this patient's plan of care and exactly how I can get them there or how I can help get them there. So I know that's sort of like a long winded answer, but basically what I'm saying is my, my experience is your, your decision-making doesn't change. You just take a lot more bigger picture and, you know, idea in mind and you have a lot of help to get there. No, absolutely. I think that's a great answer. Um, you know, and that's kind of one of the things that as a newer grad, I've struggled with it. You know, if I'm wanting to make sure this person gets out and is, you know, fully ready to go, you know, I don't need to necessarily know all the answers, which is a reassuring fact. Um, so I wanted to go a little bit more to actually how I found out about you. I found out about you on Twitter because I was trying to beat all my classmates in fantasy football. Um, 
came close this year, but not quite yet. So kind of tell us a little bit about <laughs> how you got started there. <laughs> yeah, man, that's a, it's a good question. It's always a fun little fact, right? Like the, the cool thing about the fantasy stuff is that it's such lower stakes, right? Not that people don't consume my content and consider it for like probably making big bets and stuff like that. Like I'm sure that happens, but like from a clinical perspective, like you were saying, I got to get this guy back to the organization, like for the organization on the field, throwing hundred miles an hour as quickly as possible because every day that he's on the IL, then you know, the organization loses money. He's losing time off of his career and his time served, which could impact, you know, there's whole, like that is such a big picture issue that you play such a small part in, right? As a physical therapist, like those are legitimate real world problems. If I get on Twitter and I throw a hot take around, I tell you Saquon Barkley isn't injury prone. People get so mad and lose their minds. By the way, he's not injury prone. That's fine, right? Like what am I losing or gaining by telling you that the data shows Saquon Barkley is going to stay healthy in 2022? Like that's such low stakes. And so it's a good way to like still stay semi clinical, right? Cause I cite a lot of study and data and stuff like that. It's a fun little hobby, but it's like, I can come home and blow some steam off doing stuff like that, knowing that the stakes are a lot lower. It's not that I don't try, but I know that the end result still is, you know, a probabilities based outcome. And it's, I guess that's not much different than physical therapy, but it's more of a probabilities based outcome, I'd say. Right. And so how did you initially get started with that? Um, and you said you did that at the beginning or at the end of PT school. Kind of tell us like what made you want to start it? Yeah. So I saw a lot of names out there, Stefania Bell, David Chow, right? Dr. David Chow. And I knew that I just wanted more. I would always, I remember being like you, like I wanted to be everybody in my league. I'd go to their like, Twitter accounts and try to Google and stuff and like, they had good general information and I just felt like maybe we could take this a step further. And so I just started doing online. Like I started, I made a Twitter account. I made a crappy little graphic and I started putting out tweets. Like I found a bunch of NFL data. I was like, Oh sweet. I feel like this is not really talked about a lot. Here's NFL data for hamstring strengths. Here's NFL data for, you know, return to play after a list rank. Like all of this data that I just really started sharing, giving context to people with and people loved it. I mean, it was, it was fun. And I got super lucky because I reached out to fantasy points, essentially what they are now, formerly fantasy free agents. And they had no business hiring me, Chase. They had no business letting me put content on their website. I said, listen, I'm a third year physical therapy student. I don't know shit, to be honest with you. I just think this is fun. This is a hobby for me. I'll write for free. We can get some traction to the website maybe when there are injuries and we'll see where this goes. And they had what would quote unquote an audition for me, like with a podcast. And he was like, yeah, cool, sweet, you're here. Three years later, they kept me on board. And every year I put out their injury stuff, fantasypoints.com. And yeah, I'm on Twitter and that's been fun. Like I said, it's a nice little reprieve from like clinical like clinical work. Right. Um, and so kind of tell us a little bit more about your podcast, Injury Prone, you know, kind of uh, yeah. ironically named. So kind of tell us a little bit more about that. <laughs> Yeah. So injury prone. So the big running joke is physical therapists get so confused when I say injury prone is a lie. And they're like, well, what about like the 80 year old grandma with osteoporosis? I'm like, well, yeah, man, like that's totally different than what we're talking about. So injury prone initially was from the general public using the phrase injury prone way like far too often. In my opinion, they would, you know, they use, they still to this day, like it's all injury prone. He's injury prone, right? Dude gets a lateral ankle sprain. No, he's injury prone. 
so I, that's sort of me like tongue in cheek being like, Oh yeah, injury prone. Like I'm, I'm sure that's a thing like injury prone, right? You have no idea what anything these athletes do, the rehab they go through, like their strength and condition where you have no idea, but yeah, they're injury prone. So it was just kind of like a joke. <clears throat> so that was initially what, like what it became was injury prone. And then, so now that I'm in this performance space, a little bit closer to the performance space, right? I decided, well, you know, just for my own good so that I can continue to learn from people outside of like a textbook and, you know, mentors, like, let's just start interviewing individuals who are in the performance space, see what they say. I mean, it's very similar to what you're doing. And so far I had Tim Gavin on, he was fantastic, great guy, super cool guy, great researcher, but even better individual, even better human. And it's been fun, man. Like I'm expanding from just fantasy stuff, which I'll still put out the fantasy content. I'll still put out like the solo, like, cause nobody wants to listen to like a 30 minute injury podcast, right? You just, you want the, you want the information you get in, you get out. It's usually like between five and 10 minutes during the season. And I have the newsletter now, right? This pinned to my profile at FB injury doc, where you can sign up for the newsletter where essentially I'll give you updates for free to your email address. Um, and then on top of that, the performance crowd, right? Going to try to quench that thirst a little bit. So a few, a few irons in the fire that are very similar, right? Kind of semi-related, but uh, a little bit different in their own right. So it's been fun, man. Yeah, I think um, your Twitter page, along with uh, Matthew Betts from Fantasy Footballers, um, kind of even before I started PT school, kind of you know broke that realization that injury prone isn't a real thing for, especially for very high level athletes. Like there's obviously nuance to all of these certain things. Um, so that was actually really formative as I was going through PT school, following you guys, kind of, you know, trying to make sure, one, I could be better at fantasy football, but two, kind of forming <laughs> my clinical career. Have you followed me that long? I have followed you, I think, right before, I since P- PT school started, so around 20, I'm old. Oh yeah, it's been, it's been quite a I'm while. I'm old, man. <laughs> I'm old. God, I've got to hang them up. I'm washed. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, I do have a couple questions, other questions for you. Um, so now that you're with the twins, kind of walk us through the day, like what it is for you, like day in the life. I know it's probably a little bit different, you know, depending on the time of year, um, day to day, but kind of give us a general day in the life for you. Oh man. And that's the thing is like every day changes so much that it's hard to really say like, Oh, this is what a day is. So I can tell you what a day should look like, right? So a day should look like get up on my days that I'm helping the ATs put, you know, set up the fields, get the waters, all that stuff. Um, it'll typically start around, you know, five thirty-six and get to the complex, do any backend work. I'm really bad about my admin stuff. So I'll try to do that in the, at the beginning of the day when I feel re-energized, not in the evening and do that stuff, have our morning meetings, get breakfast, right? That's the nice part about being in a facility like this is like you basically are, they have everything you need, right? They got a gym for you if you want to work out. They got a, they got a kitchen for you if you want to eat. So that's the nicest part. So we'll go eat. Typically you see rehabs during the day. And by honestly, man, but you'll have like the, their, you know, eight or nine between eight or nine ish. They'll do their treatments. Uh, they go out, they do their baseball specific activity, depending on where they're at from like a functional perspective. Like, can they throw, are they, are they throwing a bullpen? Are they in rehab games? Are they just throwing 60 to 90 feet today? Like, what are they doing? Right. That goes for pitchers and position players. They do their strength and conditioning stuff, uh, around, you know, 10 or 11, they come back inside. You do more treatment. If you need to, you put any fires out that you need to put out. And in the afternoon, after lunch, you typically try to get your, your admin stuff, you know, admin work done. You still have your notes. You still have, you know, things that you need to do from an administrative perspective. So that stuff doesn't change. At that point, that's when you go 
you know, you might schedule an appointment in the afternoon. You might go to the ortho doc to get a guy checked out, get a guy an MRI, an x-ray, whatever. Uh, you send emails, all that stuff, right? So basically it's the inverse of a major league schedule because most major league schedule, you know, those guys will start at noon or one just because they have late nights and they'll be done late, right? But here it's a little different on the minor league side. It's kind of like an inverse. You start relatively early, but your day ends relatively early as well. So um, in addition to like, going places that you need to go to, you know, you might need to, to go, to go to appointments that are, you know, a couple hours away, you know, sometimes you actually are, you know, you'll go to different places where they need to have procedures done. So it honestly, like it totally depends on the week. It changes up until literally the morning that you're supposed to be doing X, Y, Z, it could change. Now you're doing ABC. So the spontaneity I think is really, um, it's the attractive part of it for me, but it's also like the, okay, now I'm actually gonna do this. Let me like reset my entire brain. Like it's fun for me. And I'm talking about it. Like, it's not fun. Like I think it's super fun. I could not go back to like a regular clinic and feel stimulated. And I know it's not about feeling stimulated for ourselves. It's about the patients and getting them better. So if I had to, I would absolutely do that. What I'm saying is like from a job perspective, I think my job satisfaction is a lot higher just because the spontaneity is, is so high and I have ADHD chase. And so you, you got to constantly be changing it up on me. Otherwise I'm, I, I start to, I start to twiddle my, my thumbs a little. So it's fun, uh, but it's definitely a lot of work. It's not, you know, I think the phrase, and I wish I remember, I heard this once. I wish I could remember who it was. They said, you know, professional sports, people like what pers people like what pers professional sports looks like until they know what it feels like. And I could definitely see that, right? Like it's not all glamour and glitz. Like you don't get like Tim Gabbett said on my podcast, he's like, he made the joke, like he's Australian, right? So they, they say they have different like slight tweaks to their phrases. He's like, it's not all about having, having the jumpsuit, right? It's not about having the track suit, right? You, you have the team gear and, and you know, it's not about having the baseball cap. Um, it's a lot more than that, right? There's a lot of work that goes in on the front and the back end. And the one thing that's informed my clinical decision-making um, not my clinical decision making, I'm sorry, like my outsider's perspective, which now is a little bit of like an insider's perspective, people saying, you know, criticizing athletes for, for whatever X, Y, Z decision they made about their health or their rehab program. It's like, if you had, and I said this on Twitter the other day, if the general public had any freaking idea how much work, thought, planning, debate, um, second opinions, third opinions, you know, tweaks, changes, discussion went on just for one decision on a guy's plan of care, they would be like, Oh, okay. Like maybe we should get like, cut them some slack. Like they're trying the athletes trying, they're giving their input. So that's kind of a long winded answer. Again, you're letting me ramble chase. You got to shut me up. So that's sort of my, my day. I think your original question was like, what's your day like? And that's how I got to, got to where I'm at. So go ahead. No, this is, that's exactly what this podcast is for. It's for rambling, um, you know, kind of talking a little bit more about what it's like to be, you know, different types of therapists, sports therapists. Uh, but I'll keep you on track a little bit. Um, in your, in your time with the twins, what has been your favorite memory so far? Favorite memory working with the twins, right? Yeah. Oh man. You're really making, that's a good question. Was that on the sheet? You're, you're bamboozling me. That's a good one. All right. So I'm going to filibuster for myself a little bit. I think one of my favorite memories is watching things come full circle for injured athletes. I'll say one specific instance we watched from, you know, spring training from, you know, 
coming from spring training, having a little bit of like, you know, an injury issue, getting better, you know, spring training breaks, I think like a month or two months later, we're turning on the TV and, you know, you see, you know, that X player, right? Like watching a plan of care be fulfilled from beginning to end and seeing the end result is like the most rewarding part. So that's like my favorite, my favorite memories are attached to seeing it come full circle, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, you know, one of the most common answers, you know, and it's not, you know, down to like a, a slight at you, but it's like one of those common answers, you know, seeing people from when they're at their most injured and their quote unquote lowest point to being able to go back and perform and do compete in a sport they love is probably one of the best things that, you know, us as rehab professionals can, can look for. Um, so exactly. what piece of advice would you give to any aspiring sports PTs that want to work in like higher level athletics? I'm going to keep it really basic chase because I talked to so many and maybe the, your population at selection bias, and they already know this and maybe recognize this piece of advice, but a lot of younger students don't recognize it or students early, early on, maybe undergrad students, unless you have a legitimate connection and a relationship the the unfortunate bottom line is that getting a job in professional sports and i can only talk specifically for baseball i can imagine it's like that for other pro sports in the united states unless there's an established connection that you have or you get extremely lucky like i did and i recognize fully i i do not recommend people try my path i don't recommend you don't do a sports residency and then do an ortho instead and then just like get lucky one day with the phone call i don't recommend the path that i took if you know your heart is set on that, the best possible thing you could do is prepare for a sports residency immediately, right? Like as soon as you real, realize I want to do that, I, I do think that if if it's financially feasible and if it's possible from your like from a time perspective and, and you can do it, and I recognize not everybody has that privilege and that financial security, I fully recognize that. But if you can, you should do your best to attach yourself to a sports residency that does a lot of things for you. The first is A, it gives you general post-professional training. None of us come out or are an expert at anything, right? Getting mentorship and post-professional training is huge. The second thing it does for you is that it, it does establish some connections for you, right? What's that rule of like the nth degree? Like you, there, you're only so many degrees apart, like seven degrees apart from somebody that knows somebody, right? That is very much the case. And if you showcase that you, you have the right stuff and you bring you know, the clinical skills and people start to trust you, those connections start to, you can really start to leverage those connections because people trust you, they'll recommend you to places. The other thing that it does for you is it gives you structured mentorship and potentially establishing relationships that are going to carry on beyond your residency. Like one of my mentors to date is, I met him in my residency. Like I, like my, I graduated residency a year ago. So all of those things, and they essentially help you boost your chances of eventually getting to whatever sport you want to be in. It's not a guarantee. It's not a slam dunk. You have to remember there are only, you know, so many positions in professional sports as a rehab professional, but what it does is increase your chances, right? Like we talk about fantasy football, like fantasy football is a game of probabilities. Like you're, you're rolling the dice saying that Cooper cup's going to repeat as a wide receiver. One, the problem, not the case. I'm going to tell you, Chase, don't take Cooper cup, take, take, you know, Justin Jefferson. Okay. But what I'm saying is, you're increasing your chances by doing a sports residency as opposed to not doing it. Um, otherwise you're kind of betting on, on luck. And if that's your, if that's the way you roll, great, do it. But I think the most practical application of advice that I give, unfortunately, I think is far too often because students do reach out to me. 
I think the mo the missing piece is that students don't even recognize that that a sports residency is is even out there, or that it's even an option. That would be my my most my number one piece of advice I'd give. Perfect. I think you know so many of our guests have had you know postgraduate training in sports residency. So you know from someone that didn't do one, kind of reflecting back, it's kind of you know a good piece of advice to have and a good perspective to have as well. Um, so last question for you, Edwin. Um, since you know I found out about you through fantasy football. Uh, what is one fantasy football sleeper that you have for the upcoming 2020? Oh, you're making me do sleepers? Yes. And this is being recorded on in the middle, like the end of June. So obviously it's a little early and this episode will come out till later. But what's one sleeper that you have for us? I mean, I mentioned him earlier, man, like Saquon Barkley. I think the last time I checked, he was going in like the third round. Here's the thing, Chase. You know how ACLs go. You know how lateral ankle sprains go. There's also data to support that when an athlete doesn't miss time in college in, for uh, playing football, they're unlikely to miss more time in the NFL once they get there. Obviously, things can change, and that's just a matter of uh, you know chance. But running back is injured all the time. That position is injured constantly, frequently, but not not a hundred percent of the time, right? So we have Saquon Barkley, one of the best athletes we've literally not not figuratively, literally the best athlete we've seen since Adrian Peterson at the position, like one percent less of an athlete according to spark scores we have him coming back gets hurt with the acl comes back in 2021 was going to smash anyway because of all of the criteria that he met that some of the literature points to was like had like 21 points and 29 points in week three and four steps on a dude's foot in week four or week five whatever it was misses like another four or five weeks only plays 60 percent of the snaps here's here's the moral of the story you need to take Saquon Barkley after the first round because he'll be a steal, and hopefully he doesn't keep climbing up by the, by the time this podcast comes out. Hopefully he doesn't climb by the time August hits because that's when everybody does their draft. Saquon Barkley's my sleeper, man. He's going to smash. I think I think um, to wrap it full circle, I think your interview promo podcast that that name is very like very aptly named because you know when we look back and you see oh Saquon Barkley just missed a lot of time with an ankle sprain. You forget the context that it was a freak accident and there's nothing that he did in his preparation in his training or that anybody else did other than the guy's foot just happened to be there so i think that's a good full wrap on this podcast right. edwin thank you so much for agreeing to come on to the podcast um why don't you go ahead and plug your podcast and your twitter account where people can find you yeah it's just the injury prone podcast um you can find me on twitter at fb injury doc you'll see everything that i have to offer there uh, I do want to say, I think that what you're doing is great. I think that podcasts like this are a good way for, you know, a good gateway for a lot of younger individuals to get an idea of what sports, you know, physical therapy might look like. So keep doing what you're doing. I think you're doing a great job. All right, Edwin, I appreciate the kind of words. And with that being said, this has been the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. Huge thank you to Edwin, who is minor league physical therapist for the Minnesota Twins, as well as the host of the Injury Prone Fantasy Football Podcast, for coming on to the latest episode of today's podcast. If you liked what you heard from today's guests and want to hear more from great future guests, please like and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you go to.